The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to In Discussion today. We have an extremely serious program today to bring to you regarding the oil crisis in the Gulf of Mexico, also the terrible conditions that uh, we see in the island of Haiti, which are reaching uh, astronomical situation. I'm joined today by Andy Levin, a photojournalist who has been reporting from the Gulf. He has actually been flying over the Gulf recently, who is going to give us a picture of the current conditions. We have Pat O'Brien, who a former a seasoned journalist from Florida, and we have Asli Dantel. Welcome to you all. Good to be with you, David. Thank you. I'd like to start this off uh, for our listeners by reminding everybody of the circumstances of these events that we all face today. On April the 20th, 9.15 p.m., which was a Tuesday, there was a first explosion on the oil rig, the Deep Horizon, followed by a second explosion around 10 p.m., it took the lives of some 11 platform workers, incinerated immediately, and 17 injured as well on this Transocean Limited managed rig. Uh, this is, before we go into this program, awarding an incredible tribute to these people who lost their lives so tragically, and to the families and to everybody else who was affected during this terrible event. Uh, this tribute is to the 11 men killed in this explosion, Jason Anderson. Dale Birking, Donald Clark, Stephen Curtis, Gordon Jones, Roy Wyatt Kemp, Carl Klepping, Blair Manuel, Dewey Rivet, Shane Rosto, Adam Wise. And Jones and Manuel were employees indeed of M.I. Swasco, while the other nine worked for Transocean. May God the bless them. Dr. Jerry Schubel, welcome to you. Thank you, David. It's good to be with you again. And you. Thank you so much for joining us in this important program. Referring, Jerry, to the disaster in the Gulf that we see today, it is wonderful to have your participation and thoughts on this dreadful situation. And wondered if you could give us an overview or your thoughts on the, the dynamics of this uh, spill. Well, first of all, I think you're right. I think it's a disaster. It's a dreadful situation. It's a terrible accident. Uh, all of those phrases and words, I think, uh, even fall short of, of describing it. I, we need to remind ourselves that 11 people lost their lives. Another 17 were seriously injured. Countless thousands of uh, people will lose their livelihoods for anywhere from months to years. And the, the Gulf's natural environment, particularly the wetlands and the wildlife, have been heavily impacted and the recovery of the ecosystem will range from years to decades hundreds of turtles and birds have died dolphins all of those things are the facts and i think it's it's clear that the first priority needs to be to stop any further release of oil clean it up and get back to try to get things back to normal because the effects are are going to be profound with the damage to wetlands, not only the direct damage, but damage to spawning and nursery areas, fisheries throughout the southeast U.S. and the Gulf depend upon these wetlands. So you use, lose a year class of some of these species, and it's going to take a, a long time. Andy Levin, you're joining us today, and I realize that you have been flying over the Gulf, and you're going to give us a, a picture of that. Pat O'Brien, you are based in Florida. You have a lot of journalistic experience, and I understand also that you understand the makeup of chemicals and what we could do uh, with uh, uh, different formulations of chemicals to, to take care of this situation. The oil spill, from what I understand, is covering some 2,500 square miles as of June the 1st, estimated at some 340,000 U.S. gallons per day, so it's already exceeding the Exxon Valdez crisis. Andy, can you give us a picture, please? I understand that you have been uh, out in the Gulf. Uh, could you give us a picture of the current conditions with the oil spill? 
Yes, I was. I did a flyover yesterday with the Coast Guard. Um, we didn't. We didn't fly over the whole Gulf or the whole extent of the spill, but um, clearly it's a massive amount of oil in the water. Um, there's a tremendous amount of it. You don't know exactly how much, but it's pretty easy to see uh, with the naked eye just by flying out there to the site that there's an incredible amount of toxic material um, in the water. And that's just what we could see. Um, how, how close? The air. How close is this uh, getting to the shorelines now? Um, reports are it's uh, as close as uh, seven miles up in Florida. In, here in Louisiana, it's about ten miles away. Um, the visible parts of it, you know, I would I would expect that there are, there there are probably elements of the of the spill that are that are in in the water. Just can't see them. Pat O'Brien, could you come in shortly on this as we travel through this program and give me uh, your view of Florida today, uh, the impact on Florida as a state, as an economy, and people's fears? Well, the fear level is is high, extremely high, uh, day by day. Uh, we can see uh, the tourism numbers dropping. The uh, hotel um, population should be filled right now. It's not. Uh, tourism is, is huge to Florida. Our beaches are huge uh, to the economy. It's not just Mickey Mouse and, and Universal. It's, it's more of the experiences of deep-sea fishing. The Florida Keys is known as one of the greatest places in the world to, uh, to fish. Uh, we have wetlands and, and marshes that the survival of the state that are going to be impacted. And that fear level alone we know is going to cost numerous jobs, numerous exports of food that um, this state has been able to uh, produce. Uh, it will absolutely devastate the economy of the state of Florida if, in fact, um, the oil reaches the tourism part of our, our economy. And Andy Levin, uh, your thoughts on that, sir, on uh, your neck of the woods in Louisiana? Uh, I would say similar concerns. Certainly the fishing industry is pretty much closed down. We don't know for how long. Uh, tourism, I understand, is, is way down. The state will be impacted on all levels. It will be hit doubly hard because uh, there's a temporary moratorium on offshore drilling, and many uh, Louisianians, for better or worse, are employed uh, by the oil companies. So we're, we're, we're sure to hit. We're sure to get a hit uh, here, and um, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about the short term and, of course, um, damage to the environment in the long term. Can we look, please? Um, can we look very briefly at this explosion before we move on? We have an awful lot to do. Um, I understand uh, that the explosion uh, obviously changed the whole industry. It's going to no doubt change this country. Uh, Pat O'Brien, I believe that you have uh, some uh, information about the explosion. I was concerned to hear that after the explosion, the remaining 126 were, as quickly as possible, moved away from the rig. Uh, but there were reports, of course, that some of these were held on a boat until, uh, until they signed off waivers before they could even call their families. Uh, could you give me any information on that, please? Well, uh, immediately following, um, they were scooped up by the Coast Guard, other boats that happened to be in the area, and immediately lawyers showed up with documents uh, saying that if you do not sign these, you're not going to talk to your family. This went on for some 50 hours that they held these people who were under this trauma, a rig that's five stories high. Many of them jumped to the, to the water, uh, weren't able to get into the lifeboats. They saw this thing coming, and this is, this is the sad part of this whole issue. BP had to know, and the people that operated the rig had to know that this was going to happen. Um, some six weeks prior to uh, the, the explosions themselves, uh, Goldman Sachs, which is one of the biggest holders of BP stock, dumped a tremendous, almost 42% of the stock that they held. They had to know that there was some kind of a disaster coming in order to do this when they did it, and that was the 31st of March. The, the amount of money that they earned by doing that is um, in their, their overall, uh, uh, the, the overall holdings uh, netted them some $240 million by selling when they sold six months out or six weeks out. Um, now, when you get into what happened on the, that night of the explosion, 
there were people that were down there looking at the dials and seeing that the dials on the rig were, they were hearing a whirling sound. And uh, this was just about 9 o'clock at night. And this whirling sound they knew was not a good sound. It meant that the, the, the oil had not been going up, that it was gas coming up. And the, the actual dials within that rig uh, the, the, that they monitor the pressures with started to actually explode. They, they, there was so much pressure on, they explode. They knocked out fire doors that were supposed to protect these workers. Three major steel fire doors were knocked off their hinges. So we have a, a picture here of the devastation of that day, Pat. It must have been absolutely dreadful. But may I just throw this out, that my understanding is that they are still at Capitol Hill approving more rigs for this area in the Gulf. So indeed, indeed, more rigs I, will I, be I built. I can't speak to that. Um, actually, there's a moratorium on, uh, on that right now, David. Uh, some question about where, what area the moratorium uh, applies to. There's a lot of confusion. Even today, there was a lot, some discussion in the news about that there was confusion over exactly whether they're not going to permit drilling or will permit drilling. So uh, the government is not looking very organized at this point. Mm. Jerry, do you think that this is possibly a worse situation than we saw with the Exxon Valdez? Oh, yes. Yes, the the amount is much greater, and I think the kind of an environment and the, the prospects of how long it it could take to seal this off, I think, much worse. Remember back in 1979, there was another blowout in the Gulf of Mexico, the Ixtac, and it, it spilled 3.3 million barrels of, barrels of oil, and it took nearly 10 months to stop that one. The Exxon Valdez released only 260,000 barrels of, of oil. Now, only it probably is not a good word to use, but by comparison, the Exxon Valdez spill was was very small. Cleaning it up, stopping is job one. But if we don't take advantage of this terrible situation and ask ourselves the questions about reducing our reliance on oil, not only getting out of the ocean, but just using less oil, we are making a terrible mistake, I think. Uh, Thomas Friedman made this, the observation in a recent op-ed piece in the New York Times that a disaster is an inexcusable thing to waste. And this is a disaster, so we shouldn't waste it. You are a native, I believe, of New Orleans, uh, Andy. You, you have obviously traveled through the Katrina incident. Uh, what do you think, uh, looking at this, are the implications for the local fishing industries and any other industry that is uh, in that area? Well, uh, I'm a New Yorker, actually, David. I'm a transplant. I came here a year before um, Katrina. Um, but I, I think I can answer the question. I mean, the thing that I say to people is fish swim. And even though they've closed down, uh, I think it's a third of the Gulf waters to fishing right now. Any of the any of the many of the fish that are passing through these large plumes of oil that we think are underneath the water or ingesting this material, they'll be eaten by other fish. Uh, it's got it, it 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 will inevitably get into the food chain, and it's I think it should be a source of concern for uh, everyone all around the world because we're polluting uh, our atmosphere. We're making animals around us toxic. We consume these animals and. Uh, it's very sad to see David. What is the concern of people around you, Andy, as you travel through the day and you see this dreadful picture in front of you? How are you seeing people stay afloat with this situation that around you, whether it's pilots or paramedics or, or commentators? Are, are people really very concerned now down there? I, I would say uh, for sure. I mean, even here in New Orleans, and, and we're not right on the water, or we're close enough. I think people are, are traumatized. Um, many of the people that I know have trouble sleeping. They just recovered from Katrina. It was five, it's going to be five years in August, uh, early September. And uh, now this is happening. And I think uh, it's, it's added to the anxiety that they already have. And certainly the, un, the unknown about when this may stop, if it does stop, and the way it's been politicized and um, by both the government and, um, and BP's efforts to... Um, propagandize their own efforts for, for lack of a better word is very disturbing Pat do you have any questions here we've got about two minutes before we move on sure Andy I got a, uh, one question in your flyover could you get any sense 
I, I know it's very difficult from aerial, but can you get any sense of the length of these um, these strips that I'm seeing on TV? And did anybody give you any indication of what they might think in the depth of those could be? The oil that hasn't I can't yet say. come to the... I can't the say. Tr- no, uh, no, no, one, no one would speculate on the depth. They, they, what it looks to me like from the air is rivers kind of moving through the Gulf. Um, I, 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 there was no way that I could ascertain how deep they are, but you could see them kind of snaking through uh, the Gulf, mostly going east and west, and I think the currents of the river are pushing them towards, at this point, probably Texas and Mexico and towards Florida, and keeping them away from Louisiana for the time being. When the river starts to go down, uh, I think that'll change, obviously, if there's a hurricane or, or, or a tropical depression gets in the Gulf. It may change, too. What would the implications of a hurricane be with this, do you think, Andy? It will lift up the water with the oil, and it'll put a lot of it on the land. Where the oil goes, we don't know, but uh, certainly wherever it goes in any sort of concentrated form will be a place that people can no longer live. Um, that Those places would be rendered um, uh, toxic sites, certainly. I don't know how many there'd be. It's hard to speculate on that kind of thing, but it would be a mass, it would be an awful catastrophe. Uh, David, it, uh, uh, perhaps unimaginable. It's it's just it's um, we're playing with fire here, and and um, unfortunately, it's too late to do anything about it. The, the mistakes were already made. Um, you know, the uh, criminal acts already occurred in the way that if this well was well, I won't say intentionally destroyed, but the way that this company, you know, for the lack of a better word, uh, uh, monetized um, their asset and and, and created a tremendous environmental catastrophe. Can I ask you, Jerry, uh, we are possibly seeing a fairly heavy hurricane system uh, coming through, or in fact many systems coming through this year, but we're looking at uh, evidence with sunspot activity. Um, What are the implications of this for the food chains? If this does indeed travel beyond the confines of the Gulf, it does travel up through to the Bahamas and maybe even beyond by the time they've capped this, which they're suggesting may be the end of the year. What do you see as being the wider implications? Well, I think it's hard to say in terms of what hurricane activity would do. It would certainly increase the dispersion. Uh, that's both good and bad. It would spread it over a larger area. It also increases the, the dilution. I think, though, that, again, I would come back to the fact that we are burning so much oil and coal and gas and releasing CO2 and other greenhouse gases to the atmosphere. They are warming the earth, they're causing sea level to rise, they're making the ocean more acidic, they're increasing the intensity and frequency of storms. What happened in the Gulf should be a wake-up call for us to get off of oil as quickly as we can. And I think we might even consider putting some kind of a tariff on every barrel of oil this country produces and put that into a fund that could be used only for a transition to renewable energy. Lots of people don't realize the U.S. is the largest producer of oil in the world. Um, I totally disagree with everything you said. And that's nothing more than Al Gore, and it's already been debunked. Uh, global warming, um, the climate change, all of that uh, has nothing to do with uh, what we're what we're faced against. I just I just think I, w- I think it was ridiculous. Okay, but there are certain there are certain but it's points. Fair and balanced. Yeah. It's fair and balanced. But it the other side of that coin is that you know the drilled baby drill. We're not going to stop putting and leaving our cars in place. Mm. Okay, uh, that's uh, that's the American way, and there's no need to. As he said, there's plenty of oil. The problem is there's not enough refineries, but there's plenty of oil, and there's plenty of ways to be able to to uh, uh, produce that oil safely. This was not done safely. That's what we need to have is the oversight. Uh, we we talked about the violations of BP, opposed to other people that are doing it correctly. Uh, that that to me was the other side of the view where I am. I know. What are these? Obama is going to fly here tomorrow, by the way, um, and it just seems interesting to me that uh, every time that Obama comes here, there's a major um, um, development in what's happening underneath the water. The last time he came uh, was the top kill, which failed, uh, and this time they're going to put a cap on what they've cut off on the riser. So he, Obama, seems to time his visits very appropriately, uh, or opportunistically, I would say, around um, BP's efforts to make, get this well under control. Uh, well, they have failed to get under control for some 46 days now. 
Pat, uh, what are the solutions underway by BP and, and even Capitol Hill now in terms of uh, chemicals to start dissolving this, this oil slick? Well, there's a, there's a connection with uh, BP and this company called uh, Nelco. Nelco was developed right after the Exxon Valdez spill. It was Exxon, um, it was Exxon and BP uh, employees that had developed this product called Corexit. Corexit is on the EPA list. It is considered uh, of one of uh, 14 um, uh, products that are on the list. It is considered the most toxic of those products. Now, you need to understand there's a, a product called a surfactant. A surfactant is a base product. From that, they make a product that is called a dispersant. The dispersant's job is to be able to break up the oil, and in time, the, the natural uh, waters in the spreading of the waters, over time, it will supposedly eliminate that oil. What it doesn't do is there are many poisons, toxins, that are put into that product, the Corexit product, and that those still remain. That's why this thing is so scary, because if it does get into the shores, as it has in Louisiana, those are dead for years, because you can get the oil out, but you can't get the toxins out. There's another step that could have easily been done, and it's a blend. This product has been around for some 15 years. It's a blend of the product that they're currently using and other products that are put in it to take the toxicity out of it. It's a third step. They didn't do that. that. Those products are in the market. I know of three manufacturers here in the United States that make a product like that that would either take it and immediately eliminate it and not allow it to come to shore. And what it does is it breaks down the oil. It's an emulsifier. It's been used in uh, cleaning of engines so that if you were in an engine shop uh, and you had to tear down an engine and put it back together and you want to clean it, this, these products uh, are out there and are sold all over the country as a, as a cleaning product. The, the, the thing is they leave no toxins with them. Now, had the government known about these emulsifying products, we wouldn't have the toxins that are now there. The more they continue to use this corrected product, which is like BP taking money out of one pocket and putting it into another, I, I don't think that they're even losing a dime out of this because all they're doing is buying this corrected product and they're, they're um, charging BP huge sums. They're the same company when you look at the executives. They're as tight as possible. Let's, so. um, let's, let me just interrupt, Pat, if I may. Azalee, welcome to the program today. I'm so grateful for you joining us. Thank you for inviting me. We are talking about two principal issues in this program. We are talking about the oil spill in the Gulf, uh, which is a dreadful situation, and we are also talking about Haiti and the dilemma uh, that we have there. Could you possibly begin this uh, by giving some general background of your participation and your view of the current situation? Certainly. I am the head of the Haitian Lawyers Leadership Network. It's a human rights organization. And um, we have been working with regards to Haiti for about 16 years now. Um, as everyone knows, we know we're on our fifth month after the earthquake that devastated Haiti, put um, 1.5 million people are today, right now, living, have no home, living in the streets, tents, tarps, tarps and sheets, and over 300 thousand people died and the 33 seconds of, of the 7.0 uh, earthquake that happened on January 12th. There has been lots and lots of outpouring of um, donation monies to major, major uh, uh, industries of charity. But today, um, well, since the earthquake, people had been talking about the, the coming of today. And when I say today, I'm talking about we are in hurricane season. We are We've, we've gone through or are going through the wet season. So we have people who have no homes, whose all of their houses has fallen down, fallen down on them. There are still rubble um, in the streets. Of uh, Most of the damage happened in the capital. 
and the, you know, the National Palace fell down. And, and um, uh, so, so basically, this, everything fell down. Everything that you know basically um, fell down in Haiti. So we have uh, uh, these millions and millions of people who have moved um, outside, excuse me, who are on the streets. So 1.5 million are on the streets, and there's many that have gone um, to their outlying uh, 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 country places where they came from um, to live with their families. So there's a, there's, there's a stress on, on the rural areas because of people, you know, coming in, you know, sleeping with their cousins and, and so forth and, and, and moving in because there, there's no places for them where they used to live. What, what is the level of support today, some uh, five months after the disaster? The, um, as I, uh, you know, Americans have spent, have, have donated records money. The problem is that the international community, the United Nations and the U.S. and those who make the decisions decided, as opposed to prioritizing uh, humanitarian aid, they prioritized security. And that still is even the, that still is the, 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 one of the big problems. So you have a big bureaucracy. So there's a lot of people. Well, number one, as I said, you know, the failure at the moment is that form going on five months after the earthquake, people are still living in tents. There's no housing. There's no, there's no relocation. Is, is this indicating that indeed very little of this fi these financial donations that have been raised have actually reached the source? Precisely. According to a C CBS investigation, less than, in some cases, less than 7% of the money have been used that, that, that is being, um, uh, that has been collected. Now, where, where, where can we assume that the, these funds are being held now? Well, they're being held in the coffers of these organizations. A lot of these, I mean, Haiti is what we call the um, NGO republic. There are over, now before the earthquake, before the earthquake, there were over 10,000 NGOs in Haiti. Now there's many more. Um, because everybody has gone gone down, gone down, and everybody's raising funds, and everybody's providing aid. But there is absolute, the people are are frankly not getting anything. If you go into the various camps, there you know food, medicine, and and water was the very first priority in the first, and then of course shelter. You know there has been some food. I mean there has been there has been some distribution. There has been some help. But as I said, in terms of the level of the need, it hasn't been met. Um, we we I think the CVS investigation investigated five top charities. Red Cross raised four hundred forty four million dollars. They they say that they've only used twenty two percent of it. When they asked them where why haven't you used the you know the money to help the folks. They're keeping it in their coffers, uh, collecting interest, and they say it's for future projects. So, so, in, they, so in that case, we can report to the, the general public here in the States now that in this dire time of economic failure that we are in, despite their efforts that uh, they have managed to donate uh, so much money that they do not have, that money is actually being held by corporations and uh, over one million people are in dire circumstances. Absolutely. Also, um, 140 nations got together and did a nice, you know, um, uh, President Clinton and, 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 and Secretary Clinton did, a, on March 13th, a huge donor meeting. They reported to the press it was a great success and that they had raised $5.3 billion for Haiti. It was over the amount that Haiti said they needed for reconstruction and that in 10 years they were going to give um, $10 billion. Today, yesterday, uh, President Clinton um, it, it was at a meeting in Dominican Republic, and basically they were they're saying, and this is it's not being reported because everyone's reporting fuzzy, nice, loving stories. That um, of the 5.3 billion that was pledged to Haiti by these donors, very, very little has come in. Absolutely little has come in. I think the only country they said that actually gave. What it, what it pledged was Brazil, and that was $55 million. So give me, give me very briefly, very briefly for our listeners, w the, a picture of these people. What sort of conditions are they living in? Under tarp, sheets, and tent, $1.5 It's raining. 
There's, what is the, have, what is the death rate down there? Do we have? Do we? Oh my goodness! Could we uh, even imagine what the death rate is? No, I, I, I can't. I won't imagine it for you. Um, all I can say to you is, I've never. I, I was in Haiti three times after the earthquake. I, I, um, I, I've never. This is not something a body can absorb. How would you, uh, how would you define this? How, how would you define this, Azalee? If if we're talking about here, this is an absolute disgrace. If we are talking about all these donations being collected by the people of this country and many other countries, it has not reached source. Uh, this is not being reported, and we are facing. Sorry, how many people again in Haiti now under these conditions? One point five million people are under these conditions where they're and and you know once the hurricane season comes you know you're under a, a tent there's no there's no there's nothing to stop uh you know the disaster that's that's continuing now the, the so the official and sorry to interrupt but no the, the the official line then is that these funds are being held for restructuring um if they're being held for restructuring how many of these people are going to be dead at the end of this period while they're considering restructuring and bringing corporations in to look at this your guess is as good as mine david i mean um so many people have died already. They, they, you know, if you remember right after the earthquake, they, they were putting folks, you know, at one point, 70,000 people went into a mass grave. Uh, there are still folks, you can smell uh, folks under the rubble, even though uh, the response was to send 20,000 troops as opposed to 20,000 doctors. Militarizing aid, I think, is the, is the biggest thing. And I think, you know, you have UN right now. They have uh, about 15,000 troops down there. They're still, they're still... Uh, uh, saying that security is a problem. And I can tell you that um, the first couple of days after the earthquake, I, I went out in Haiti. And I'm not saying that there, there, there is not, you know, a crime of opportunity, but, but security is, is not and should not be the priority. Um, what, is, what, is, what is the role of the U.N. now? Well, the role of the U.N. right now, its mission, as it says, is to provide security. However, it can't have it both ways and be collecting money for, for humanitarian aid. What is the purpose of the USAID in this? I understand that the main livelihood in Haiti is agricultural. It has been for thousands of years. I understand that the USAID is trying to raise support and provide genetically modified crops for this country. Being from there, how would you look at that? What perspective do you have of that? Well, the um, USAID is the American arm that is in control of reconstruction and relief in Haiti. And along with President Clinton and the UN, they put together a Haiti plan. Um, USAID is the arm that coordinates U.S. presence in terms of Haiti with regards to the earthquake relief and American foreign aid. What's happening with regards to Monsanto's, it's a, a biotech company that uh, makes genetically modified seeds and hybrid seeds and other things. But right now, with regards to Haiti, the issue is they're not their genetically modified seeds because they've said that they're not giving Haiti genetically modified seeds. They said they're giving Haiti 475 tons of hybrid vegetable and uh, uh, corn seeds. The difficulty and the problem with that is that these seeds are coated with fungicide, they're coated with other toxins. Of course, Haiti has already a humongous uh, environmental problem with uh, soil depletion and deforestation and, you know, and the poverty and all of that. So, Is, is there reproductive value to these, these uh, seeds that they're providing? Yes. Well, see, the problem is providing corporate seeds to a country that has poverty. I mean, in terms of reconstruction for Haiti, in terms of if, if folks are saying, you know, let's not have what happened in, in January 12 happen again. The reason that a 7.0 earthquake caused so much damage, you know, as opposed to, you know, what happened in Chile, uh, you compare what happened with Haiti in terms of the death and toll, is that there were so many people in the city a city that was built for less than a million. I mean, it, it had, you know, three million people in it and almost, you know, a million p 
people, like I said, you know, more than a million are affected at the moment, and 300,000 died because that city was overcapacitated. So if we're doing if we're doing a reconstruction, we want to move the people out of the city into the back into the land, especially since Haiti. You know, there was food riots before the earthquake. There was a food shortage. People were starving. What Haitians call Clorox hunger because some people had in areas, you know didn't get food to eat in six days. The hunger is so deep that they call it like that this battery acid eating their stomach. And now you have the corporate seeds that are being given. And that, that means that these seeds are not repro- reproduced. Every year they have to be repurchased. So it's a dependency. So what about the uh, mines that we understand are located in the north part of the island? What is the activity there? Is the UN protecting those mines and are they notwithstanding the fact that we have over one and a half million people in dire circumstances in Haiti still operating? The mines, to the best of my knowledge, are still operating. To the best of my knowledge, there are companies like Majesco, St. Genevieve out of Canada. All of this, um, your listeners can find on my website. Um, and, and just put Haiti's riches on, in Google, and you'll find the information. We have a whole list of all the corporations that are exploiting Haiti's resources like iridium, gold, copper, limestone, the purest of, of, of limestone and marble. You have to, if folks understand that this is a country that, it's IT, part of its meaning is the mountains, mountains after mountains. There are American companies and Canadian companies and European companies since the 2004 coup d'etat who are having a normal or enormous time hiding behind UN guns, um, carting out Haiti resources while the people down in the capital are dying poor. Um, one of the big things I was telling you with regards to security that the United States put a lot of money into was surrounding the island so the people would not get out off the island and litter uh, the Florida shores. So they spent a lot of money to make sure that, you know, Haitians are not getting on the high seas. And so, Haitians are getting on the high seas because they have no choice. The natural urge is to live. So in conclusion here, we are faced to over one and a half million people dying in Haiti. We see the big uh, corporate mansion continuing and effectively a complete failure of the charity system in the United States to uh, walk in there today and help these people? In the long term, for sustainable relief, yes. Pat O'Brien, can I bring you in here? Could you uh, raise any points that you would like to uh, talk about with Asley while we have her on the line, or can we let her go? I I would like to um, ask a couple of uh, quick questions, if I may. Asley, I understand also you had mentioned uh, the gold and the other um, products that are being in the mines, but I also understand from our research that oil is a major product or export an export that possibly even the government doesn't know how much is being exported uh, in that there's a tremendous amount of drilling um, around the Haitian uh, shorelines. Is that correct? The the Haitian government up until and after the earthquake denied that Haiti had had substantial amount of oil. Our research, which is, like I said, readily found online, will show you that the United States Agency for International Development has been guaranteeing uh, oil contracts in Haiti since the 70s. But it wasn't until after the earthquake that Business Week, for the first time, came out with a report that um, supposedly the earthquake opened up to show the world that Haiti has oil. Haiti has already always had oil. It it lies in the same area as Cuba and Venezuela in those waters, and that right in the fault line. There is an island called Lagunav where there is oil. We have the maps of all of where the hydrocarbons, the oil places are, where in the 50s the U.S. actually digged their wells and basically said, the oil companies basically said, listen, we're going to keep these as our reserves for when uh, the Middle Eastern oil goes goes down because they didn't want to put those on the market and compete against themselves and their monopoly in the Middle East. And now they're coming back, and that's why you have 20,000 troops in Haiti. It wasn't about humanitarian aid. It was protecting the interests of these oil companies, the interests of these agribusiness, the interests of those in the defense world. Right now, for instance, with this money, $5.5 and all that, there's, like I said, a lot of private 
military companies that are making tons of money securing what? People who, as you know, many amputations, arm amputation, leg amputation, uh, there's not even medicine, so it's coagulating and people are having strokes and heart attacks because they're, you know, they were chopped off. So yes, there is substantial oil in Haiti. And, you know, the resources of the world is looked upon by a certain mind as belonging to them, and certainly it shouldn't be belonging to black people. Yeah, I, I have one other question, uh, one or two other questions that I think fit right into what she said that we could ask. But if, uh, Go ahead. Uh, yeah, we, we got two minutes. We got exactly two minutes, so if you want to ask, Pat. One of the um, a number of sources that I now have in Haiti have told me that the American Red Cross, for example, has um, pretty much left, that many of the, the health care workers that were there have left. As soon as the cameras left, so did they. Is that something you could confirm? I know that um, I've seen a video where uh, a, a young Haitian man was looking for the American Red Cross because they said that they had spent... 33 million on shelter and uh, so he went up uh, uh, and that video you can just google google it uh, how did the american red cross uh, spend this money on shelter and he couldn't find the american red cross a lot of folks that have left um they they are saying right now that the military has reduced its numbers so 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 yes you know there are folks we call them disaster tourists you know us folks of the developing world they come in when the cameras are on, and um, they show you a whole line of Haitians getting food, water, and, and so on. And then when it's off, when the cameras are off, they all are off to the next disaster area. It's, it's, it's the world that we live in. Okay, I've got about one minute left, Pat, for another question if you'd like to, sir. Okay. What are you hearing about the, the health issues and how are they developing? The concern, of course, would be for America or any European company or any plate, anybody that's sending people in trying to rebuild or whatever, the concern would be that the disease and pestilence that is there we know is rising. How, how concerning is that to you to see that, that export of Haiti? I mean, is that something that you could see happening? Well, of course, you know, the disease of, of rising, you have a dense amount of population in a small area. So, uh, for instance, you know, there's one camp where there's 50,000 people together. Imagine under tents, they've already uh, are, are suffering medically from crushed limbs and shock and, and so forth. And now you have the, the toxins, the body waste, all of that put together. The rising in disease is tremendous. And certainly, you know, these people need to be gone into a more secure place and a more safe place. And, um, but it, as I said, you know, uh, it's very, very slow. I can just say this to your audience. It's important for the world to understand that the large charity organizations are not accountable to anyone. So, so Red Cross, for instance, you know, they're only accountable to their private people who own the, the membership. So they're not, they're not accountable to the people, the donors that are giving them the money. So I suggest that folks who are concerned about where their money are going probably go to their Congress people and that what is the United States doing with this money? Why isn't it being used for sustainable get these people into into areas where, you know, into shelters from the rains that are coming. Uh, you know, those are questions that Americans need to start asking and thinking about and not just leaving it to the Red Cross, because if you leave it to the Red Cross, the Catholic Relief Services, Care International, they're, it's, they're an industry. And as they say, they're collecting the money and they say it's for future projects. So they're, they're collecting money um, and putting it in their coffers. So Haiti-led, Haiti Capacity Building <clears throat> Organization is, is what you should be supporting if you want to continue to help with these 1.5 people who are desperately in need. Let's look at the general situation. Let me start with you, Andy Levin, if I may, in Louisiana. What is the outlook here for the economy? What is the outlook generally, do you think, if indeed they cannot stop this spill within the next four to six weeks? Well, David, I did, that, that, that's hard to say. I mean, the, 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 it's, it's a resilient state. The people are resilient. Um, there's still a lot of uh, oil work going on. Tourism will be hurt. It sort of depends on, on what happens in, in terms of the current and how much actually uh, is pushed this way. Massive amounts are pushed this way into the marshes. Um, it will take 10 years to recover. Um, if a hurricane comes and drops um, toxic um, waste material into our communities, they will never recover. 
um, that would be the worst case. And I, one doesn't want to, to frighten people. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because I've been to Haiti and I live here too. So, sort of, and also um, I was in New York for 9/11. So, I've got quite a lot of experience with catastrophes. Unfortunately, um, I, it's hard to say. I mean, we're, we're it's the beginning of the summer. This could be a very, very, very long summer for Louisiana, and hopefully the worst outcome doesn't happen. I mean, hopefully the worst outcome doesn't happen for for the Gulf. But they really need to get this thing under control. And if they don't, I think um, uh, it, it, could, it, it could be uh, a situation as, as uh, um, I wouldn't want. I don't want to compare it to, to Chernobyl, where there was um, radioactivity released, but uh, it could be on the level of a Three Mile Island or, or, or Chernobyl. Asley Dantel, could you give me your perspective, please, on uh, not only the conditions that we see in Haiti at the moment, but also the implications of this oil actually impacting uh, Haiti itself? Well, in the same way that we're talking about tourism in, in the United States, certainly the, the the Caribbean, this is this is this is how most of those countries in the Caribbean make their monies. We don't want to even think about with the added uh, with the earthquake what would happen if this stuff ended up at Haiti's shores. Uh, all I can say is that at the moment you have a tremendous amount of um, uh, environmental degradation. The tragedies right now, and it just seems both in Haiti and in the Gulf that the the best minds in the world are are falling down on on, on helping the the, the people uh, come out of this in a in, in a way that would seem logical. How can we we all take responsibility for this? How can our listeners? Can, how can the three of us? How can everybody out there now essentially put a monitorium on the production of oil? Uh, on this greed that we still see continuing in our world despite the worst economy since the depression. Your thoughts on that, and this is open now, Any, anybody can talk on this. I, I would answer that, David, to start with. As individuals, uh, I think our options are limited. I mean, we consume the products that are there for us. Uh, we need our cars to drive to work. We can't, um, we need a government who's going, that's going to be strong enough to really look out for our best interests to make sure that if we do have uh, oil production, that it's closely supervised. And in this case, this was a preventable accident. This was uh, this was this, this this accident could have been prevented any number of times. Tests were not done intentionally. Grave mistakes were made, and people are going to go to jail. And it's the role of government to supervise. And the American government has has not been supervising uh, much of anything out in the oil fields. And and so I would I, I want to lay the blame um, strip, uh, right at the feet of the politicians take contributions for these companies and who are charged with looking out for our best interests because they're not doing their job. Pat O'Brien, could you answer that question, sir? Well, one of the uh, things about BP, they have the worst safety record, according to OSHA, of um, uh, over 300 violations of safety. Now, when you add up all the other oil companies that are in that gulf, um, there are 17 violations amongst four different companies. So, um, gee, do you think maybe there could be a possibility that uh, there was a lax in our government overseeing BP? And when you take a look at the money trail, which you always have to look at, you can see that the, um, there was $169 million in 2009 that were lobbying expenses by BP. Now... How many people wound up on the hill with a big chunk of chain there to look at the other way? I think that's where we have to start looking. There needs to be an investigation of, of the entities that were overseeing this BP operation and allowing them to have so many infractions. And that's what caused this is because they drilled too fast. They didn't follow procedures. They sped it up. There was an argument on the platform that very night between the BP executives and the, and the people of uh, Horizon uh, and Transocean. And they, uh, uh, they had an argument. And basically what was said is that, hey, we're losing $25 million a day on this thing. Drill it deeper. I don't care how you do it. I don't care that you do it the right way. We're going to get it done. And that's when the day of the explosion happened. Asli Dantel, could you respond to that question? You know, I agree with both of the comments. And I'm, what I'm going to say is, is going to sound very, very naive, you know. But um, I think we do need change. I know that it, we supposedly in America have voted for that change. But it's time for people, for us, for the universe, for everyone, to put people in the planet, in the health of people, in the health of the planet, over profit. It, it sounds 
naive, but we have to put Main Street ahead of Wall Street. This deregulation, this lets the corporation do what they want, just has not worked. Well, is 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 this indicative of of some sort of depopulation strategy, or given Haiti's role in this world with with their devastation, it seems amazing to me. And and again, this is naive, but uh, what are we attempting with this? We have over one and a half million people in Haiti who are dying. So what is that talking to us uh, in this country? What is it talking to the, the basic human being? What, why are we allowing this to happen? I, I don't know. It, it, it doesn't seem humane. And, um, and, you know, the people I, you know, human beings I walk into every day are, are loving, caring people. But when I look at the universe and I look what's happening, it, it, it doesn't seem reflected. So I'd like to see the human loving, caring people uh, reflected in the world as results. And, um, I mean, I don't want to talk about eugenics and depopulation because it's, it's just overwhelming. But you do have a situation in Haiti where, for instance, uh, within the, everyone knows that when a disaster happens, that within the first 42 to 72 hours, the house has fallen down on you or you're having a heart attack. You need help right then and there. You don't need That's the right. monies to be held over for future projects. You don't need the U.S. to land 72 hours later and close down the airport and, and, and send first responders back because it's, it's, it's a security situation. Uh, security for what? So those are the things I, I just, frankly, I don't understand our priorities in the world. It should be about the human being. It should be about the planet, our ability to breathe our ability to, 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 to eat foods that are not genetically modified and provide us with infertility or cancers. It should be about less about profit and more about the human being. You're That's all I can say. David, may I, may I interject something here? We've got about four minutes. Okay. Let me just interject. Um, it is too much to go in. Yesterday, I watched a YouTube video unlike anything I had ever seen. Uh, Anyone that's listening to this program has um, had no other way around a computer to get to it. I just ask that you look at the Bilderberg Group, B-I-L-D-E-R-B-E-R-G Group. There's a gentleman named Daniel Estlin. Daniel Estlin just recently went before the European Parliament and tied together people like Bill Gates, Rockefellers, the, um, the, the video is unbelievable. The Rockefeller knew that he had controlled the oil industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the banking industry, and with that, he formed, along with people like Ted Turner, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, uh, a, a little clique of people. The distribution of wealth, in my opinion, from the research we've done, is nothing more than a distribution of the wealth getting wealthier. And this YouTube video, um, if you would post it on your site, David, I'm going to give it very quickly. Please get a pen. Please see this piece. I'm not, I don't want to sound like, like a crazy person here, but after viewing this video, you're going to see this is a, a function of the world's richest trying to eliminate the people of like Haiti in eugenics. This is all has to do with uh, people that, like, for example, a gentleman that came from Bill Gates' operation who is now a czar in the Obama administration, and his name is Dr. Ravish Shah, R-A-J-I-V Shah. He's in charge of all of the funds that are supposed to be going to places like Haiti. If you go to that website, it'll be an eye-opener like you've never seen, and it ties it all together of everything from what has happened out in the Gulf, why a corrective product was used. It connects the dots for us. Okay. Andy Levin, Andy, what are you going to be doing in the near future here? Well, um, let me just say, I'm, I'm not really big on conspiracy theories. Um, I, I think that, you know, the, with, with all due respect, that um, you know, the human mind tries to find patterns and things, and some, sometimes they're there and sometimes they're not. I, I certainly don't doubt that the wealthy of the world are, are trying to uh, amass as much money and power as they can, and they and uh, that's certainly for sure. The thing that I wanted to say was the other thing that happens within 48 hours of any catastrophe is that the powers, the, 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 same, the same people that, that um, we were just speaking about, um, understand that money changes hands very fast. 
and the, the, a tremendous amount of money is, is to made to be made in catastrophes. Um, millions, if not billions, were made uh, during Katrina um, in Haiti, and um, are, go, are being made right now. And where the money's going, and whose hand is feeding who, um, it, it's hard to tell. We don't have a lot of investigative journalists. I, I wish there were more because we need them. Uh, I'm going to be doing my best to follow what's going on and try to try to uh, you know shine a light here and there. Obviously, uh, uh, as individuals, um, we don't have uh, we don't have the power of uh, the New York Times or CBS News, but uh, I'm going to do the best I can, David, and uh, try to be more of a human being. As a, I, I can't remember the name of the woman from Haiti who said such wise things, but I think we all need to be a little more human and um, and, and, and a little bit less uh, uh, self-interested. And as Lee Dantel, what is your mission in the near future here? Well, we are helping with a, a couple of Haiti uh, relief programs at the moment. Those who are interested in assisting money with uh, medicine and so on, you can certainly go to my website, esleydantel.com, or to our blog, um, uh, and, 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 and help us with that. Um, you know, as the last gentleman was talking about, you know, we're only a small uh, organization. There's only so much we can do. We see the, the overwhelming need, but what we what we can do, we are trying to do. We are exposing as much as possible with regards to what the actual situation is in Haiti, and um, we are helping with the our family members in Haiti, with the programs we were, you know, a third of our people uh, died or are still missing uh, from the Every Dutcher Witness Project in, in Port-au-Prince. So we're, we're still in shock. We still have most of our people and uh, um, just cannot function. But uh, we are trying to do what we can to, uh, to, to, to help those who are living. And uh, Haiti needs doctors. It needs shelter. And um, it would be great. Uh, I think that the CVS investigation said um, that from the amount of money that was collected, uh, there's 1.5 million people on the streets. The five top organizations could put their money together and give $37,000 to each person. But that's not going to happen. What is the message that you would have, Jerry, for the listener uh, to the general public at this stage? There must be now at this stage a real awakening um, out there in our world to, to take some severe action with this. What would be the pivotal message that you would have? Well, I, the message for the U.S., I think, is that we need to have a national energy policy and we need to have a policy on climate change. And I think for uh, Canada and other countries, we need to have international cooperation to reduce the, the greenhouse gas emissions and, and deal with these large climate issues. Are the scientific community that, that you are aware of and working with involved very heavily with this disaster? Yes, I think there's a, a wonderful response by, by the research community um, Mostly, though, I think it is to, to deal with the immediate issue, to reduce the, the amount of damage to, to the Gulf, and, and that's commendable. But as soon as that's dealt with, or even before that's over, we need to ask the bigger questions. And in the final minute, Pat O'Brien, what are you going to be doing, sir, in your efforts to resolve all of these issues? Well, I went from being someone that has solutions to the problem to back to a journalist and investigative reporter. I am going to continue on to help bring products that are eco-friendly to these communities. I'm going to fight uh, um, the, the government as much as we have to. There are products that can solve the problems of both Haiti, of both the oil spill, and that's what my company does. I'm not naming it. I don't care about that. It's just a matter of major of exposing the idea that there are solutions if the government will open their eyes and allow technologies that are out there um, to be used that can save lives if they want to. And that becomes the huge question. Do they really want to? Well, I would say that it's been a great pleasure having you on the program today. I would also present to you the concept that you are all heroes, and I think that everybody uh, has the potential to be heroes uh, in our world today. We must be. We must be to step up to the plate uh, immediately to take care of not only the people in Haiti, but also to ensure that the problems that we've seen in the Gulf in the last weeks are eliminated 
and we've got to ensure that we become uh, less of a consumer, use less oil, and give less power to these organizations who are creating dreadful circumstances now for our world. I would also finish this program off by, again, providing this tribute to the 11 people aboard this oil rig who lost their lives and the 17 people who were injured and to their families. Uh, we wish them everything for the future, and we are certainly holding them in our prayers. To our listeners, uh, we thank you for being here today. You can gain information on this and any other program in the series by visiting davidgibbons.org. Meanwhile, wherever you are in this world, please take action and be the hero. We all need to be heroes today. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. David Gibbons in discussion welcomes listeners' comments and viewpoints at its blog at davidgibbons.org. This programming is supported by organizations and firms in the private and public sectors.